0: Chapter X of Kenilworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kenilworth by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Ten. There entering in they found the good man's self full busily unto his work he bent, who was to wheat a wretched warish elf, with hollow eyes and raw boned cheeks forspent, as if he had been long in prison pent. The Fairy queen. "'Are we far from the dwelling of the smith, my pretty lad?' said Tressilian, to his young guide. "'How is it you call me?' said the boy, looking askew at him with his sharp grey eyes. "'I call you my pretty lad. Is there any offence in that, my boy?' "'No, but were you with Grandam and Dominie Holiday, you might sing chorus to the old song of We Three Tom Fools Be.' "'And why so, my little man?' said Tressilian. "'Because,' answered the ugly urchin, "'you are the only three ever called me pretty lad. Now my grandam does it because she is parcel blind by age, and whole blind by kindred, and my master, the poor dominie, does it to curry favour, and have the fullest platter of firmity, and the warmest seat by the fire. But what you call me pretty lad for, you know best yourself.' thou art a sharp wag at least if not a pretty one but what do thy playfellows call thee hobgoblin answered the boy readily but for all that i would rather have my own ugly physiognomy than any of their jolter-heads that have no more brains in them than a brick-bat then you fear not this smith whom you are going to see me fear him answered the boy if he were the devil folk think him I would not fear him. But though there is something queer about him, he's no more a devil than you are, and that's what I would not tell to every one. "'And why do you tell it to me, then, my boy?' said Tressilian. "'Because you are another guest, gentlemen, than those we see here every day,' replied Dickie. "'And though I am as ugly as sin, I would not have you think me an ass, especially as I may have a boon to ask of you one day.' "'And what is that, my lad?' "'whom I must not call pretty,' replied Tressilian. "'Oh, if I were to ask it just now,' said the boy, "'you would deny it me. "'But I will wait till we meet at court.' "'At court, Richard, are you bound for court?' said Tressilian. "'Ay, ay, that's just like the rest of them,' replied the boy. "'I warrant me, you think. "'What should such an ill favored scrambling urchin do at court?' but let richard sludge alone i have not been cock of the roost here for nothing i will make sharp wit mend foul feature but what will your grandam say and your tutor dominie holiday in what they like replied Dickie. the one has her chickens to reckon and the other has his boys to whip i would have given them the candle to hold long since and shown this trumpery hamlet a fair pair of heels but that Dominey promises I should go with him to bear share in the next pageant he is to set forth, and they say there are to be great revels shortly. And whereabouts are they to be held, my little friend? said Tressilian. Oh, at some castle far in the north, answered his guide, a world's breadth from Berkshire. But our old Dominey holds that they cannot go forward without him, and it may be he is right, for he has put in order many a fair pageant. He's not half the fool he would take him for when he gets to work, he understands, and so he can spout verses like a play-actor, when, God won't, if you set him to steal a goose's egg, he would be drugged by the gander. And you are to play a part in his next show, said Tressilian, somewhat interested by the boy's boldness of conversation and shrewd estimate of character. In faith, said Richard Sludge, in answer, he hath so promised me. "'and if he break his word, it will be the worse for him. "'For let me take the bit between my teeth, and turn my head downhill, "'and I will shake him off with a fall that may harm his bones. "'And I shall not like much to hurt him neither,' said he, "'for the tiresome old fool has painfully laboured to teach me all he could. "'But enough of that. "'Here are we at Wayland Smith's forge-door.' "'You jest, my little friend,' said Tressilian, here is nothing but a bare moor and that ring of stones with a great one in the midst like a cornish barrel ay and that great flat stone in the midst which lies across the top of these uprights said the boy is wayland smith's counter that you must tell down your money upon what do you mean by such folly said the traveller beginning to be angry with the boy and vexed with himself for having trusted such a hare-brained guide why said Dickie with a grin you must tie your horse to that upright stone that has the ring in it and then you must whistle three times and lay me down your silver groat on that other flat stone walk out of the circle sit down on the west side of that little thicket of bushes and take heed you look neither to right nor to left for ten minutes or so long as you shall hear the hammer clink and whenever it ceases say your prayers for the space you could tell a hundred or count over a hundred, which will do as well, and then come into the circle. You will find your money gone and your horse shod. My money gone, to a certainty, said Tressilian. But as for the rest, hark ye, my lad, I am not your schoolmaster, but if you play off your waggery on me, I will take a part of his task off his hands, and punish you to purpose. Ay, when you catch me, said the boy, and presently, took to his heels across the heath, with a velocity which baffled every attempt of Tressilian to overtake him, loaded as he was with his heavy boots. Nor was it the least provoking part of the urchin's conduct, that he did not exert his utmost speed, like one who finds himself in danger, or who is frightened, but preserved just such a rate as to encourage Tressilian to continue the chase, and then darted away from him with the swiftness of the wind when his pursuer supposed he had nearly run him down, doubling at the same time and winding, so as always to keep near the place from which he started. This lasted until Tressilian, from very weariness, stood still, and was about to abandon the pursuit, with the hearty curse on the ill-favoured urchin, who had engaged him in an exercise so ridiculous. But the boy who had, as formerly, planted himself on the top of a hillock, close in front began to clap his long thin hands point with his skinny fingers and twist his wild and ugly features into such an extravagant expression of laughter and derision that tressilian began half to doubt whether he had not in view an actual hobgoblin provoked extremely yet at the same time feeling an irresistible desire to laugh so very odd were the boy's grimaces and gesticulations the cornishman returned to his horse and mounted him with the purpose of pursuing Dickie at more advantage the boy no sooner saw him mount his horse than he hollowed out to him that rather than he should spoil his white-footed nag he would come to him on condition he would keep his fingers to himself i will make no conditions with thee thou ugly varlet said tressilian i will have thee at my mercy in a moment ah master traveller said the boy there is a marsh hard by would swallow all the horses of the queen's guard i will into it and see where you will go then you shall hear the bittern bump and the wild drake quack ere you get hold of me without my consent i promise you tressilian looked out and from the appearance of the ground behind the hillock believed it might be as the boy said and accordingly determined to strike up a peace with so light-footed and ready-witted an enemy. Come down, he said, thou mischievous brat, leave thy mopping and mowing, and come hither. I will do thee no harm, as I am a gentleman. The boy answered his invitation with the utmost confidence, and danced down from his stance with a galliard sort of step, keeping his eye at the same time fixed on Tressilian's, who, once more dismounted, stood with his horse's bridle in his hand breathless and half exhausted with his fruitless exercise though not one drop of moisture appeared on the freckled forehead of the urchin which looked like a piece of dry and discoloured parchment drawn tight across the brow of a fleshless skull and tell me said tressilian why you use me thus thou mischievous imp or what your meaning is by telling me so absurd a legend as you wish but now to put on me or rather show me, in good earnest, the smith's forge, and I will give thee what will buy thee apples through the whole winter. Were you to give me an orchard of apples, said Dickie Sludge, I can guide thee no better than I have done. Lay down the silver token on the flat stone, whistle three times, then come sit down on the western side of the thicket of gorse. I will sit by you, and give you free leave to wring my head off unless you hear the smith at work within two minutes after we are seated i may be tempted to take thee at thy word said tressilian if you make me do aught half so ridiculous for your own mischievous sport however i will prove your spell here then i tie my horse to this upright stone i must lay my silver groat here and whistle three times sayest thou ay but thou must whistle louder than an unfledged usul said the boy, as Tressilian, having laid down his money, and half ashamed of the folly he practised, made a careless whistle. You must whistle louder than that, for who knows where the smith is that you call for? He may be in the King of France's stables, for what I know. Why, you said but now he was no devil, replied Tressilian. Man or devil, said Dicky. I see that I must summon him for you. And therewithal, he whistled sharp and shrill, with an acuteness of sound that almost thrilled through Tressilian's brain. "'That is what I call whistling,' said he, after he had repeated the signal thrice. "'And now to cover to cover, or Whitefoot will not be shod this day.' Tressilian, musing what the upshot of this mummery was to be, yet satisfied there was to be some serious result, by the confidence with which the boy had put himself in his power, suffered himself to be conducted to that side of the little thicket of gorse and brushwood, which was farthest from the circle of stones, and there sat down. And as it occurred to him that, after all, this might be a trick for stealing his horse, he kept his hand on the boy's collar, determined to make him hostage for its safety. "'Now, hush and listen,' said Dickie in a low whisper you will soon hear the tack of a hammer that was never forged of earthly iron for the stone it was made of was shot from the moon and in effect tressilian did immediately hear the light stroke of a hammer as when a farrier is at work the singularity of such a sound in so very lonely a place made him involuntarily start but looking at the boy and discovering by the arch malicious expression of his countenance that the urchin saw and enjoyed his slight tremor he became convinced that the whole was a concerted stratagem and determined to know by whom or for what purpose the trick was played off accordingly he remained perfectly quiet all the time that the hammer continued to sound being about the space usually employed in fixing a horseshoe but the instant the sound ceased tressilian instead of interposing the space of time which his guide had required started up with his sword in his hand, ran round the thicket, and confronted a man in a farrier's leathern apron, but otherwise fantastically attired in a bearskin, dressed with the fur on, and a cap of the same, which almost hid the sooty and begrimed features of the wearer. "'Come back! Come back!' cried the boy to Tressilian, or you will be torn to pieces. No man lives that looks on him. In fact—' The invisible Smith, now fully visible, heaved up his hammer and showed symptoms of doing battle. But when the boy observed that neither his own entreaties nor the menaces of the farrier appeared to change Tressilian's purpose, but that on the contrary he confronted the hammer with his drawn sword, he exclaimed to the Smith in turn, "Wayland, touch him not, or you will come by the worse. The gentleman is a true gentleman and a bold." "'So thou hast betrayed me, Fliberty, gibbet said the smith. "'It shall be the worse for thee.' "'Be who thou wilt,' said Tressilian. "'Thou art in no danger from me. "'So thou tell me the meaning of this practice, "'and why thou drivest thy trade in this mysterious fashion.' "'The smith, however, turning to Tressilian, "'exclaimed in a threatening tone, "'Who questions the keeper of the crystal castle of light, "'the lord of the green lion, the rider of the red dragon?' hence avoid thee ere i summon talpak with his fiery lance to quell crush and consume these words he uttered with violent gesticulation mouthing and flourishing his hammer peace thou vile cozener with thy gypsy cant replied tressilian scornfully and follow me to the next magistrate or i will cut thee over the pate peace i pray thee good wayland said the boy Credit me, the swaggering vein will not pass here. You must cut boon winds. Reader's note give good words, slang dialect, and reader's note. I think, worshipful sir, said the Smith, sinking his hammer, and assuming a more gentle and submissive tone of voice, that when so poor a man does his day's job he might be permitted to work it out after his own fashion. Your horse is shod and your farrier paid. "'What need you cumber yourself further than to mount and pursue your journey?' "'Nay, friend, you are mistaken,' replied Tressilian. "'Every man has a right to take the mask from the face of a cheat and a juggler, "'and your mode of living raises suspicion that you are both.' "'If you are so determined, sir,' said the smith, "'I cannot help myself, save by force, "'which I were unwilling to use towards you, Master Tressilian. "'Not that I fear your weapon.' "'but because I know you to be a worthy, kind, and well-accomplished gentleman, "'who would rather help than harm a poor man that is in a strait.' "'Well said, Wayland,' said the boy, who had anxiously awaited the issue of their conference. "'But let us to thy den, man, for it is ill for thy health to stand here, talking in the open air.' "'Thou art right, Hobgoblin,' replied the smith and going to the little thicket of gorse on the side nearest to the circle, and opposite to that at which his customer had so lately crouched, he discovered a trap-door, curiously covered with bushes, raised it, and, descending into the earth, vanished from their eyes. Notwithstanding Tressilian's curiosity, he had some hesitation at following the fellow into what might be a den of robbers, especially when he heard the smith's voice, issuing from the bowels of the earth call out Fiberty, Give gibbet do you come last and be sure to fasten the trap have you seen enough of wayland smith now whispered the urchin to tressilian with an arch sneer as if marking his companion's uncertainty not yet said tressilian firmly and shaking off his momentary irresolution he descended into the narrow staircase to which the entrance led and was followed by dickie sludge who made fast the trap-door behind him and thus excluded every glimmer of daylight the descent however was only a few steps and led to a level passage of a few yards length at the end of which appeared the reflection of a lurid and red light arrived at this point with his drawn sword in his hand tressilian found that a turn to the left admitted him and the hobgoblin, who followed closely into a small square vault containing a smith's forge glowing with charcoal the vapour of which filled the apartment with an oppressive smell which would have been altogether suffocating but that by some concealed vent the smithy communicated with the upper air the light afforded by the red fuel and by a lamp suspended in an iron chain served to show that besides an anvil bellows tongs hammers a quantity of ready-made horseshoes and other articles proper to the profession of a farrier there were also stoves alembics crucibles retorts and other instruments of alchemy the grotesque figure of the smith and the ugly but whimsical features of the boy seen by the gloomy and imperfect light of the charcoal fire and the dying lamp accorded very well with all this mystical apparatus and in that age of superstition would have made some impression on the courage of most men. But nature had endowed Tressilian with firm nerves, and his education, originally good, had been too sedulously improved by subsequent study to give way to any imaginary terrors. And after giving a glance around him, he again demanded of the artist who he was, and by what accident he came to know and address him by his name. "'Your worship cannot but remember,' said the smith, that about three years since upon st lucy's eve there came a travelling juggler to a certain hall in devonshire and exhibited his skill before a worshipful knight and a fair company i see from your worship's countenance dark as this place is that my memory has not done me wrong thou hast said enough said tressilian turning away as wishing to hide from the speaker the painful train of recollections which his discourse had unconsciously awakened. "'The juggler,' said the smith, "'played his part so bravely "'that the clowns and clown-like squires in the company "'held his art to be little less than magical. "'But there was one maiden of fifteen, or thereby, "'with the fairest face I ever looked upon, "'whose rosy cheek grew pale, "'and her bright eyes dim, "'at the sight of the wonders exhibited. "'Peace! I command thee, peace!' said Tressilian. "'I mean your worship, no offense, said the fellow. "'But I have cause to remember how, to relieve the young maiden's fears, you condescended to point out the mode in which these deceptions were practised, and to baffle the poor juggler by laying bare the mysteries of his art, as ably as if you had been a brother of his order. She was indeed so fair a maiden that, to win a smile of her, a man might well— not a word more of her i charge thee said tressilian i do well remember the night you speak of one of the few happy evenings my life has known she is gone then said the smith interpreting after his own fashion the sigh with which tressilian uttered these words she is gone young beautiful and beloved as she was i crave your worship's pardon i should have hammered on another theme i see have unwarily driven the nail to the quick the speech was made with a mixture of rude feeling which inclined tressilian favourably to the poor artisan of whom before he was inclined to judge very harshly but nothing can so soon attract the unfortunate as real or seeming sympathy with their sorrows i think proceeded tressilian after a minute's silence thou wert in those days a jovial fellow who could keep a company merry by song and tale and rebeck as well as by the juggling tricks why do i find thee a laborious handicraftsman plying thy trade in so melancholy a dwelling and under such extraordinary circumstances my story is not long said the artist but your honour had better sit while you listen to it so saying he approached to the fire a three-footed stool and took another himself, while Dicky Sludge, or Fliberty it as he called the boy, drew a cricket to the smith's feet, and looked up in his face with features which, as illuminated by the glow of the forge, seemed convulsed with intense curiosity. Thou too, said the smith to him, shalt learn, as thou well deservest at my hand, the brief history of my life, and in troth, it were as well tell it thee, as leave thee to ferret it out since nature never packed a shrewder wit into a more ungainly casket well sir if my poor story may pleasure you it is at your command will you not taste a stoop of liquor i promise you that even in this poor cell i have some in store speak not of it said tressilian but go on with thy story for my leisure is brief you shall have no cause to rue the delay said the smith for your horse shall be better fed in the meantime than he hath been this morning and made fitter for travel with that the artist left the bolt and returned after a few minutes interval here also we pause that the narrative may commence in another chapter End chapter ten